Well, good morning, church. My name is Michael Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb. And here is another little tidbit about me. I drive a truck. I had a couple of fans, truck fans in the first service, but obviously no truck fans in this service. But um, in 2018, I bought my first ever truck, which actually, I guess, is, is only partially true because my very first vehicle when I was in high school uh, was an almost on its last leg, 11-year-old 1981 El Camino. And uh, in fact, every time I put gas in that thing, I had to also put a quart of oil in it because I knew it just, it needed it. It burned that much oil. But before you say it, I know that El Caminos don't really count as trucks. They're like the original hybrid. Partly truck, but mostly car. And so I don't count that as a truck, but in the summer of 2018, I did buy a truck. And, and I love having a truck. I like sitting up higher on the road. I like being able to haul stuff. I don't even mind the extra friends that seem to pop up when you get a truck. You know, the friends that want help moving and that kind of thing. I, I don't mind that. I like having a truck so much that I don't think I will ever go back to driving a car. There's my truck fans, all right. Which might prove interesting to you that six months after I got my truck, I traded it. Let me explain. Here's what happened. I, I drove out on some family property far out into a field. I was gonna put some corn out, do some other things. And I parked my truck on a slight hill. And I went about my business. Shortly after that, it started to rain, but I didn't think much of it. I continued to do what I needed to do. And after some time had passed, I climbed back in my truck to leave. And that's when the trouble started. That was the exact moment that I realized the limitations of a two-wheel drive truck and the folly of not spending a little bit extra money on the four-wheel drive version. So I, I got in, I hit the gas, but I did not move. I, I heard the tires spinning, I heard the mud slinging up on the sides. No big deal. I'll just put it in reverse, I'll back up a little bit. Then I'll put it in the lowest gear and I'll slowly drive out of here. Well, I backed up, but I did not drive out. And I, I tried again and again. I, I even turned on the little electronic traction control. That did absolutely nothing. All I did was continue to spin. And, and in fact, it did more than spin. I went backwards. It was like I was going farther and farther away from where I wanted to be, farther down the hill. I was, my situation was just getting worse. And then finally, in sort of a last ditch effort and I'll admit, partially out of frustration, I just gunned it. That was dumb. All that did was dig my hole deeper. And, and so no matter what I tried, my situation got worse. I sank deeper and deeper, and I was stuck. Now, maybe you've never been stuck out in the field, in, the, in a truck, in the mud, but I'm guessing you know that feeling. 
I, I'm guessing you know what it's like to be in a bad situation where the more desperately you try to get out, the worse it gets. I, I'm sure you've been in a situation where the harder you fight, the deeper you dig, and the worse you're stuck until you just realize you're doing nothing but spinning your wheels. It could be a family situation. It could be a broken relationship. It could be stuck in an addiction. It could be a battle with depression. But the result is the same. You find yourself stuck. I was completely stuck out in that field that day until I called my brother-in-law with a four-wheel drive to come pull me out. Now, I really did not want to do that. I did not want to admit that I needed help. I didn't want to admit that I was stuck, and I really didn't want to hear all the grief that he was going to give me for having to pull me out of the mud. But what was I going to do? I was stuck. And that's why, two weeks later, I traded that truck on the four-wheel drive version. So that would not happen again. Well, this week, we're, we're continuing our series, Christmas at Mount Horeb, and, and as I pondered the significance of Christmas, I thought about that story because stuck accurately describes the world before Jesus. Stuck describes the state that the, the world was in. Before that very first Christmas, humanity was stuck, stuck in sin, stuck in brokenness, stuck in darkness and death and despair. The people of Israel had been stuck for a very long time. They'd been floundering around, but they held on to this hope. They held on to these prophecies that promised that there was coming a Messiah, somebody who would be born to come to them, to do for them what they could not do for themselves, somebody who would come and deliver them, save them, somebody born to pull them out of the mire, which brings us to the Christmas story this morning, according to the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. 
and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, I need a little help, so I'm gonna ask you to help me. I'm gonna ask you to turn to somebody nearby and deliver this message. The message is God put skin in the game. Can you do that for me? God put skin in the game. Now, that, that passage that we just read didn't exactly sound like the Christmas story, did it? I mean, John's version doesn't include any angels or shepherds or wise men. John doesn't mention Caesar Augustus or a census. He doesn't mention the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He doesn't mention the manger or even Mary. Since John is the last gospel written, he knows that Matthew and Luke have already given us all of those details. He knows they've already told us about the swaddling clothes, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, all of that stuff. So, so while Matthew and Luke zoom in to all those details, by contrast, the Gospel of John zooms way out. In fact, John locates the, the good news of Jesus. When he starts telling us the good news of Jesus, he zooms out as far as he possibly can and locates the coming of Jesus in the context of creation. Listen again to verse one. This is what it says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning. I, I'm, I'm guessing that those words are familiar to you. They're the first words in all of scripture, the first words of the book of Genesis as we start to hear the story of creation. John is telling us right off the bat that this good news about Jesus has to do with all of creation. What God is doing in Jesus has cosmic implications. Yes, the, the details of Matthew and Luke tell us all, all of those details about Jesus' birth, they're very important. But it's almost like John is saying, but look, I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. Don't allow all these details to cause you to miss the bigger cosmic picture. In the beginning, Jesus. Before time began, before anything else had been created, Jesus. According to the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, was already there. In fact, verse 2, it, he says, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. Jesus wasn't just present at creation. He participated in it. He was integral to it. Everything that is came into being through Jesus, the word of God, everything. The earth, the solar system, the entire universe at the macro level and all the way down to subatomic particles on the micro level, all of that came into being through the power of the word of God. The same God who existed before time chose to step into time into history and become flesh and blood and live among us. Now, isn't that incredible? This incredible reality that, that John is telling us about, we call it the incarnation. 
That word incarnation comes from the Latin word incarnis. It means in the flesh. You probably hear echoes of incarnis in words like carnival or carnivore. Carnival, the, the original meaning of the word carnival was a festival that took place before the season of Lent where people tried to eat up all the meat in their home before they entered into the, the fasting of Lent. Carnival. Carnivore, of course, means meat eater or flesh eater. So when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus, we're talking about the event of God coming to us in the flesh. In other words, God put skin in the game. I know that that doesn't sound exactly like the Christmas story, the, the way we normally think of it. But if you pay attention, the words of John and, and the concept of the incarnation is very much in many of the songs that we sing at Christmas. I mean, take, for example, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. See if you recognize these lyrics. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Can you hear incarnation in those lyrics? Or what about, oh, come all you faithful? Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee all glory be given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. And then next verse. True God from true God, light from light eternal. Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Have you ever noticed the words of the Gospel of John featured so prominently in our Christmas songs? It's there when we pay attention. God, the Son, the, the true God from true God, light from light eternal, the word of the Father is now in flesh appearing. Incarnice, incarnation. God put skin in the game. Here's one way to think about incarnation. I want you to imagine with me that you're standing anywhere on the coast of South Carolina. Let's say you got your feet in the water and you take a jar like this and you stoop down and you scoop it full of the ocean water, right up to the brim. Now, you couldn't really say that you have the Atlantic Ocean in your jar because that's not quite accurate because there's still a whole lot of Atlantic Ocean out there in front of you and you're standing in it. It'd be more accurate to say that you have all of the Atlantic Ocean that will fit in one jar, right? Well, a same, similar thing is true for the incarnation. Jesus is God incarnate. Now, God didn't cease to be the omnipotent and omnipresent God of the universe, but he did choose to take on some of the limitations of being human. 
So Jesus is all of God that will fit into one human being. The same God who was present at creation, the the same word through whom everything was created, stepped into human history, became one of us, fully God and fully human. Jesus incarnate in the flesh. God put skin in the game. In the fifth century, one of the early church fathers, Leo the Great, said it like this. He whom nothing could contain was content to be contained. Abiding before all time, he began to be in time. Now, why would God do that? Why would God become flesh and live among us? What is the purpose of the incarnation? The first way I'd like to answer that is that in the incarnation, Jesus reveals the character of God. If we go back to verse 14 of our passage, it says, and the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus, full of grace and truth, reveals the glory of God. He reveals to us what God is like. God is full of grace and truth. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, Jesus isn't just putting flesh on God. He's also putting a face on God. He's showing us what God is like, who God is. This is how Hebrews chapter one says it. This is Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his hand. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. The Son radiates God's own glory. The Son, God in the flesh, expresses the very character of God, shows us what God is like, and he cleanses us of our sins. Which brings us to the second truth about the incarnation. In the incarnation, Jesus rescues us from sin and suffering, darkness and death. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him, and in the beginning, creation was good. It was God's handiwork. It was good. But not very far into the story, we human beings disobeyed God. We rebelled against God's love. We disobeyed the very first command He ever gave us, and we messed everything up. When we brought sin into the world, darkness and despair and death and suffering came, all of that came with it. Everybody since Adam and Eve has been born into sin and brokenness. That's that's why we don't have to teach our kids to be bad. That comes factory pre-installed. 
No extra charge whatsoever. It just is right there. We have to work to correct them, to teach them how to do good. St. Augustine said it like this, that we are all sinners by birth and by choice. Every one of us. Maybe another way to say that is that we're all stuck. We're mired in sin and brokenness. And no matter how hard we try, we can't get out. We, we, can, we just spin our wheels. Trying to save ourselves is futile. It really is just like spinning our wheels. We only dig our hole deeper and deeper. The harder we try to get unstuck, the more stuck we get. Our only hope out of the mire is for someone who is not stuck to come to us. Somebody with a heavy-duty four-wheel drive to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Save us. There's this branch of, of philosophy called deism. It was very popular in the 17th and 18th centuries. Deists believe in a God, but they believe in a God that just got things started and then left the world to operate on his own. They believe in this unmoved mover, a God who created the world like a clockmaker would make a clock and then just leaves it to operate. Deists don't believe in a God who is involved in history. They don't, their God isn't intervening in the world. You know, some of our founding fathers were deists. Thomas Jefferson, for example. He didn't just write the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson also created his own version of the Bible, the Jeffersonian Bible. And in his version of the Bible, he edited out all the miracle stories of the Old and New Testaments. In, in fact, he wanted to get down to the, the ethical teachings, the moral teachings of Jesus. He called those diamonds within the dung. And so he got rid of all miracle stories. He, did, he got rid of the story of the virgin birth or the resurrection. And interestingly enough, he also omitted our passage from the Gospel of John, just took it all the way out. Instead, he highlighted the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount because as a deist, he just couldn't accept that Jesus was God in the flesh. He couldn't fathom a God who, who would actually be involved in human history. In his version of the faith, God was, was that unmoved mover, uninvolved. And Jesus was, well, Jesus was just an ethical teacher. He was a moral philosopher. He was a charismatic leader. But here's the problem with deism. If Jesus was just an ethical teacher, if he was just a, a moral philosopher, if Jesus was just human like one of us, then he can't help us. He's just as stuck as we are. He's just as bound by, by sin and the forces of darkness and death as we are, and that means that we would all be in big trouble. And if God is just an unmoved mover, if God is, is uninvolved in creation, then, then we're all just gonna be stuck. We're hopelessly and helplessly stuck. Any God who is unwilling to get involved, any God who is unwilling to come to us where we are, any God who is afraid to get down in the mire and the muck where we are and get his hands dirty won't be able to do us much good. 
Some of you might remember a movie that came out probably about 15 years ago, the movie Fireproof. It was a movie that was produced by a church in Georgia, actually. It was a movie about marriage. And, and frankly, I don't remember a whole lot about the movie, but I do remember one scene. Kirk Cameron was the main character in the movie, and he was a firefighter, and they get a fire call at the station, and his team responds to the call. And when they arrive on the scene, there's a house that is fully engulfed in flames. The, the owners of the house, a, a couple, standing in the front yard, frantically watching it burn. And so the fire trucks show up, and firefighters start running everywhere, pulling hoses and going to work on the fire. And Kirk Cameron character goes to this couple and says, is there anybody in there? Do you have any family members? And the man says, we have a daughter, but she's at the neighbor's house. But about that time, the neighbor's kid comes running over and says, no, she's not. She went home a few minutes ago. She's in there. And as soon as that father heard those words, he took off running for the front door. About the time he got to the porch, one of those firefighters tackled him to the ground. Now, I'm not usually somebody who reacts emotionally to movies, but when that firefighter tackled that father to the ground, I had this visceral reaction inside of me. I sat straight up in my chair and I said, shoot. Because if, if I'm going after one of my children and somebody tackles me, it's gonna be on like Donkey Kong. And I get it. The fa that father didn't have all the equipment, didn't have the training. He didn't have an oxygen mask or a helmet or a fire suit. I, I get why the firefighter would have tackled him to the ground. But I also know that nobody is going after one of my children as hard as I will. Something very similar is happening in the incarnation. The God who created this world is not some unmoved mover who is uninvolved. The God who created everything saw that his creation was going up in flames. He saw that, that things were a mess. And he was absolutely not content to just sit back and watch all of that happen. Instead, the fierce and furious love of God causes him to become flesh, to charge into human history and nothing, absolutely nothing is going to stop him from coming after us, even if it costs him his life. And it will. Jesus is coming to save us. God is putting skin in the game. That's the Christmas story, according to the Gospel of John. Actually, it's the whole Gospel story. So if you're here this morning and, and you're, you're not sure about this whole church thing, maybe you're just here because somebody promised to take you to lunch after this, or, or, or maybe you, you don't really know all that much about the Christian faith, I want you to know this. This is what our faith is all about. That our God loved us so much 
God so desperately desires relationship with his children that he comes flesh, becomes flesh and lives among us in order to save us. If you feel stuck this morning, if, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like you've made a mess of your life and the, the more you, you try to fix it, the worse it gets, if all of your attempts to rectify your situation and pull yourself up by your bootstraps have ended up just feeling like you're spinning your wheels, then I don't want you to miss John's account of Christmas. The same God who created the universe and, and everything in it loves you so much, loves me so much, loves us so much that he wouldn't just sit back and watch us flounder. God put skin in the game. He became flesh, lived among us, came to us where we are, as we are in our stuckness in order to save us. If we go back to our passage, verse 12 says this, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. God has gone to great lengths to save us. And all who receive him, who believe in his name, to them he will give power to become children of God. He wants to pull us out of the mire of our brokenness and sin. He wants to save us. And so this morning, if you're here and you have never said yes to Jesus, you've never surrendered, you've never said, Lord, I'm here. I can't, I can't save myself. I am stuck in this pit. I keep digging this hole deeper and deeper. But I, today you have an opportunity to to reach out, to surrender to Jesus and allow him to pull you up out of that muck and mire. And I hope you don't let this chance pass. God loves us so much. He'll stop at nothing to save us. And so if that's you and you've never surrendered to Jesus, I, I hope you'll pray this prayer with me this morning. Let us pray together. God, at times in our lives, we feel so stuck. The more we try to fix our situation, the more we try to rescue ourselves, the deeper our hole gets and the more stuck we get. And so this morning, Lord, we surrender. We acknowledge how stuck we are and we cry out to you we ask you, Lord, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Save us, oh God. Pull us up out of the muck and mire of our brokenness. Lord, give us the power to become your children. It's in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray.